0: Hi, Dave Romney here. This is For The Record, program number 1,311, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, part 26. This is being recorded on September 8th of the year 2023. Before we get into the main body of the program, several notes, uh, do check the SpitfireList.com website on a regular basis for, among other things, the comments made by Parafractal, our brilliant contributing editor, and some also by other intelligent listeners. And also, there is a there are two links at the top of each, written for the record description, and at the top of each food for thought post that will enable you to, uh, subscribe to or obtain the following. Sister station WFMU is podcasting for the record. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program and in our, uh, smartphone dominated landscape, that is increasingly the case. Then sister station WFMU is podcasting the program and it is available on that flash drive. Excuse me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Freud basically fusing the synapse. It is available by clicking on, uh, those links again to the top of each. Uh, written-for-the-record description or each Food for Thought post. Now, uh, also at the top of each written-for-the-record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post, there was a link that will enable you to obtain the 32-gigabyte flash drive containing all of my life's work, both printed and recorded, as well as a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. The flash drive has not been updated in a couple of years. The previous flash drive was current as of, for the record, twelve fifteen, and there is now a new 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of the programming that has been recorded to date on it. It includes all of the COVID programming, the Oswald Institute of Virology programs, the Pandemics Incorporated programs and all of the broadcasts that I have done on the Ukraine war. This will be yet another of those. And also the 27 one-hour interviews with Jim DiEgenio and other uh, participants in the JFK documentary by Oliver Stone. And I get no money whatsoever from this flash drive. Again, the newest flash drive containing uh, or basically, current is now available, and uh, none, of the, none of us knows what is going to happen. I could not be more pessimistic about the future, and I think that as this some, maybe sound a bit high-blown or corny, I think as sentient beings, we have a responsibility to talk to those who will come afterward or to convey to those who will come afterward what has taken place. And uh, I think that uh, those of us who uh, may be in a position to survive uh, what I think is going to be an absolutely... Well, just gob awful things that are going to take place. I think that uh, you have a responsibility to be able to explain to people why they are, they are living in a rusted out Chevy sport van and fighting former Army Rangers for rat killing turf. Uh, again, the new 32 gigabyte flash drive current as of uh, September of 2023 is available, and again, I get no money whatsoever from that, and uh, so I emphatically encourage listeners to please get that flash drive. Now, this broadcast is yet another update on the Ukraine war. The title, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, comes from the 1976 autobiography Heartland, by the late Brilliant political comedian Mort Saul. In that autobiography, he asked that question: "How many lies before you belong to the lies?" Mort Saul was one of uh, New Orleans DA Jim Garrison's investigators in uh, his uh, investigation of the assassination of President Kennedy, and uh, through his experience with uh, the investigation or Jim Garrison's invest- attempt to investigate the JFK assassination, uh, Mort Sahl basically uh, was brought to that juncture where you ask, how many lies before you belong to the lies? As I have noted in the past, in past discussion of the Ukraine war, uh, the Ukraine war has... Functioned as something analogous to the philosopher's stone of the old alchemists. It was believed that with the philosopher's stone, an alchemist could change lead into gold, and uh, just in that same vein—no uh, pun intended—of. Uh, The Ukraine war is transforming individuals and institutions in the West into the same substance of the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory that was overseen by Volodymyr Vyotrovich. We'll be revisiting him uh, very briefly in this program, time permitting. Uh, Whereas it was quite well known that there were very prominent Nazis and fascists, occupying uh, key positions of authority in the Ukrainian National Security Establishment, uh, the military, the intelligence, and the police uh, establishment. Even the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security were talking about that. And then as soon as the war began, even our mainstream media, even the New York Times, which is simply a propaganda extension of the U.S. government, even they were talking about it. And then As soon as the war began in February of 2022, that was it. Now, even the ADL, the uh, Anti-Defamation League, uh, does not classify the Azov Battalion as Nazis, and they are most definitely Nazis. The normalization of Nazis is now well underway, and uh, whereas the Republican Party has long been the vehicle for the Nazification of America. Uh, it, the process is being consummated under Joe Biden, and it is absolutely spectacular uh, in a horrible way to watch this taking place. What we are going to be doing in this program is to look at the continuing, ongoing process of the normalization of Nazis, the Azov combatants, in particular, one of the things to think about, and we will be coming back to this uh, with uh, greater emphasis and greater frequency in uh, programs to come, and that is something that was expressed in a letter from uh, an officer at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, named Gwen Pinchback, to New Orleans DA Jim Garrison. In the book, General Walker and the Member of President Kennedy by Jeffrey H. Caulfield, M.D., published in hardcover by the Moreland Press, uh, the letter from Glenn Pinchback to Jim Garrison is related in some detail. Caulfield writes, Garrison did not provide an explanation for all of the David Ferry Notes subject matter. However, he did know the meaning of flying Barragona be- in the beach, unquote, one more time. Garrison did not provide an explanation for all of the David Ferry notes' subject matter. However, he did know the meaning of, quote, flying Barragona in the beach, unquote. Beach, unquote, refers to the model of Ferry's airplane, a beach craft. Barragona, B-A-R-A-G-O-N-A, was a Nazi from Fort Sill. Garrison also obtained a transcript of a letter written by Ferry to Barragona. Next to Barragona's name, Garrison wrote, quote, Note, Barragona is important, unquote. The letter had been sent to Garrison by Glenn Pinchback, and the carbon copy was sent to Mendel Rivers, a congressman from Georgia. Pinchback worked in the operations command at Fort Sill, where he intercepted mail. In the letter, Ferry shared his dream of the reunification of Germany and living in a world where all the currency was in bulge marks. Pinchback's summation of the letter described a, quote, neo-Nazi plot to enslave America in the name of anti-communism, unquote, and again quoting, a neo-Nazi plot gargantuan in scope, unquote. The furry letter spoke of the need to kill all the Kennedys and Martin Luther King, Jr., Pinchback also reportedly obtained a letter from David Ferry to Barragona confessing his role in the assassination of Robert Gehrig, G-E-H-R-I-G, who was a Nazi and Fort Sill soldier. And the theme of using anti-communism or, in the post-Cold War period, anti-Russian or anti-Chinese sentiment as a vehicle for enslaving America, is really the theme of, well, I suspect that this is a bit what uh what uh, Glenn Pinchback, Officer Pinchback, I don't know what his rank was, but uh, what Glenn Pinchback had uh, correctly identified, is in fact a powerful and ongoing element in the mausification of America. I think we are seeing its consummation right now. I don't like the term neo-Nazi. I think it is uh, deceptive in that it. it sort of portrays those Nazis as somehow not dangerous or not uh, effective enough. And uh, it is not a term that I think is very accurate. I don't like using it. So I'm going to describe what Glenn Pinchback had seen here and what he had communicated to Jim Garrison as, quote, a Nazi plot to enslave America in the name of anti-communism, and a Nazi plot gargantuan in scope. We've spoken many times about the Galen spy organization. We'll be coming back to that in a big way or uh, in a substantive way later in the program. Uh, but I think that in addition to obviously combating communism, Uh, the Galen organization really was aiming at control at the Nazification of America. And I believe they have been successful in doing that. And we should note in that regard, it was not something they did through alchemy. Rather, it was something they did by networking with the very powerful fascist and anti-communist elements in this country. But indeed, a Nazi plot to enslave America in the name of anti-communism is, I believe, what is going on. And I believe that plot is altogether successful, and we are seeing the fruits of their efforts right now. There was an article in the New York Times, I cannot find a link to that. Uh, this is called Witness, Portraits of the Living in the News. And it's uh, in the New York Times of July 9th of 2023 on page 2. And this refers to a woman named Kalima Mazepa from North Collins, New York. And she is uh, at a... A plast, a Ukrainian summer camp. I don't know if Kalina Mazepa is any relation to, uh, an Ivan Mazepa, who was an icon of the Ukrainian nationalist movement along with Stefan Bondera, Roman Chukhevich, and others. Uh, it's probably not an uncommon Ukrainian name, but it's just a thought. Anyway, Kalina Mazepa, North Collins, New York. A plast is a Ukrainian summer camp and I am the fourth generation of my family to be part of one. We spend a lot of time in nature, but we also incorporate our Ukrainian heritage into it. For the last two weeks, I've been training to become a counselor. It's cool to make memories for the younger kids. It's more important now than ever to be surrounded by your Ukrainian heritage and have people to share it with. And this again presented very... Uh, uncritically in the New York Times as a, a plast is a Ukrainian summer camp. And it shows Ms. Mazapa with her, uh, camp uniform on. And it, it looks, you know, not unlike a Boy Scout or Girl Scout uniform. However, uh, a plast, called plast is much more than that. In the Scott Riffer Extra blog, Scott Riffer, uh, has an article called Christian Freeland's Nazi Problem. Uh, Scott River responds to a subscriber's criticism. This is from November 14th of 2022. Scott River writes, On the surface, membership in PLAST seems like a harmless enough activity. It is a mainstream scouting organization. Indeed, in June of 2019, the Ukrainian Verkhovna Rada or Parliament about a law, quote, on state recognition and support of PLAST, unquote. PLAST is the National Scout Organization of Ukraine. While there were other scout-like organizations in Ukraine, the new law made PLAST the only one authorized to operate throughout Ukraine. Quote, The purpose of the state recognition of PLAST is the institutional support of PLAST so that PLAST, again, P-L-A-S-T, becomes accessible to every child and young person in Ukraine, while the PLAST movement is accessible to all children and youngsters who permanently reside outside of Ukraine, unquote. PLAST branches were ordered to be formed in every city, town, and village in Ukraine, and obliges all, quote, local self-government bodies, unquote, to incorporate PLAST into, quote, programs of local significance regarding children and young people, unquote. The Ukrainian PLAST organization was established in Lvov in 1911 and 1912. Its purpose was to prepare its membership, children, for war, mainly through combat training and weapons handling. Both Stefan bondera. And Roman Shukhevich, two notorious Ukrainian nationalists who fought alongside Nazi Germany, came up to the ranks of Plast. Bondera and Shukhevich drew upon Plast to recruit the manpower they used to fill the ranks of the Roland and Nightingale battalions, which in 1939 swept into Poland under the operational control of Nazi Germany, where they carried out the systematic rape, torture, and murders of thousands of Jews and Poles. Prost Weber instilled the ranks of a legion of Ukrainian youth who flocked for the Nazi cause throughout World War II and were responsible for some of the most horrific war crimes imaginable, including the murder in 1941 of tens of thousands of Jews at Babi Yar in Ukraine and more than 100,000 Poles in Bohemia, Poland, in 1943. Plast venerates both Bondera and Shukhevych as Ukrainian national heroes. To Plast members, the red and black colors on the scarf Freeland held in Toronto hold a special meaning. Ukrainian red blood spilled on Ukrainian black earth, unquote. Plast is to Ukrainian nationalists what the Hitler Youth was to German Nazis. It is an organization Designed to brainwash the future generations of Ukrainian youth, whether in Ukraine or diaspora, on the white supremacist ultranationalist dogma originated by its heroes Stefan Bombera and Roman Shukevich. This modern day Hitler youth like movement is now mainstreamed by law in Ukrainian society. And again, the New York Times just presents this very uncritically, uh, oh, it's a Ukrainian summer camp. And, uh, well that is part and parcel to the normalization of Nazis that, again, is becoming perhaps the most notable aspect of the Ukraine, of the war in Ukraine. I want to recount something that we looked at in, uh, for the record, programs 1148, and 1150. This is an excerpt from the book, one of the best early biographies of Ronald, of, of, uh, of Reinhard Galen. Galen's Spy of the Century by E.H. Cookridge, published in hardcover by Random House, copyright 1971 by the European Copyright Company. And Cookridge writes, Galen even set up a number of cells in the United States. The trail led to the Association of American Citizens of German Origin, which was receiving large subsidies from an unspecified federal German government department. The Bundesnachrichtendienst, it was later established, that the BND is a German intelligence service, the final incarnation of the Galen Org. This to uh, goes on with writes, This foreign subsidy amounted to the handsome sum of $280,000 in 1964. That was a lot more money than it is today. And was increased in later years. And skipping down. Not so satisfactorily at first were the explanations of Galen's connections with the large organizations of Ukrainians, Poles, Lithuanians, Latvians, and other East European immigrants in the United States, which received finance and advice from three registered BNB agents, Roman Hemlinger, alias Dr. Grau, Victor Solomon, S-A-L-E-N-A-N-N, and Alexander Weber, W-I-E-B-E-R. The point being that the Galen organization was subsidizing, again, Ukrainians, Poles, and... Uh, uh, Americans of German origin, unquote, in the United States. And that was more than a little interesting. And uh, the uh, manifestation of people like Ms. Mazepa and uh, the uncritical presentation by the New York Times of uh, the Plast summer camp. Again, it's a Ukrainian summer camp. (laughs) Uh, Scott Ritter's analysis, I think, is uh, more illuminating. But that is a manifestation of what I believe the Galen Organization was really doing. And it it should not be misunderstood that the Galen Org was acting in a vacuum. As we looked at in the massive program, AFA program number 37, how the United States lost the Second World War, uh, the Galen Org was not operating in a vacuum, but rather it was uh, feeding uh, not only American fascists and reactionaries, but the military-industrial complex Exactly what they wanted to know. And what they wanted to hear. And, uh, what we're gonna look at next is again part of the normalization of Nazis. Uh, in, uh, for the record program number 1302 and, uh, also program 1303, we took a look at the presence of azoth nazis at stanford university and uh, they were doing uh well basically actually that was in for the record 1291 we talked about that and uh azoth nazis in addition to being at stanford in october of uh, 2022 made a return appearance in june of 2023 there was an article uh, in the forward Magazine by Lev Galinkin, uh, G-O-L-I-N-K-I-N. Why did Stanford students host a group of neo-Nazis? The Azov Battalion, a neo-Nazi Ukrainian unit, has found friends among America's elite. Lev Galinkin is a particularly interesting person. He wrote a very incisive article for a, an issue of the Nation magazine a few years back, but again, rather like the, uh, uh, mainstream press, and like an awful lot of other things, as soon as the war began, he, be- he basically, uh, although he is continuing to identify the Azov Nazis, he sees them as somehow not representative of what's taking place in Ukraine, and unfortunately, it is representative of what's taking place in Ukraine. So again, from the Forward magazine, why did Stanford students host a group of neo-nazis? The Azov Battalion, a neo-nazi Ukrainian unit, has found friends among America's elite by Lev Galenkin. Conversations about white supremacy in America today typically center on right-wing media and incendiary politicians who blast out racist dog whistles. But hate doesn't need demagogues to get mainstreamed. It has also found an outlet at elite universities. On June twenty ninth, Stanford University hosted a delegation from the Azov Brigade, a neo-Nazi formation in the Ukrainian National Guard. The panel, during which Azov's neo-Nazi insignia was projected onto the wall, was attended by noted political scientist Francis Fukuyama, who posed for a photograph with the delegation. This event. And the disturbing lack of reaction from Jewish organizations showcases the limits of America's commitment to combating white supremacy. Call it the Ukraine exception. Before Russia's 2022 invasion, nearly every Western institution raised alarms about Azov. Putin's brazen attack on Ukraine led to a much-deserved outpouring of support for the country. Unfortunately, it also led to suppression of those who criticized the dark side of Kiev, its reliance on far-right military elements, the most prominent example of which is Azov. And again, I think in in his characterization of the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, I think Golinkin's what's called ignorance rather than bias, uh, does not appear to have any real awareness of what has been going on in Ukraine. Ukraine has been in a state of civil war since the Neban coup, and its large ethnic and linguistic Russian minority has basically been facing what, uh, under the United Nations definition of genocide, would be a genocidal assault. Uh, some 14,000 of them have been killed in military action by the Ukrainian uh, post-Nadon government. And uh, indeed, the war appears to have been precipitated when the Ukrainian army massed in, a, in uh, an apparent uh, staging operation to invade and uh, clear out the uh, breakaway provinces of the of, uh, the uh, Donetsk Republic, uh, the... Artillery fire was increasing, that was known, uh, was noted by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe to have increased from about 40 rounds per day to about two, I think two thousand rounds a day. An exponential increase in the amount of artillery fired ...at Ukraine, uh, excuse me, at the uh, eastern provinces, the ethnically and linguistically Russian provinces of Ukraine. In addition to the lethal military forces been unleashed at them, uh, they have been forbidden to use the Russian language in media or governmental events, uh, governmental uh, affairs. That fits the uh, UN definition of genocide and we 've also taken a look at how uh, Victoria Newland uh, was uh, hypothesizing that if we could only uh, somehow p- precipitate a Russian military action in Ukraine, that would be a perfect excuse for cutting off uh, europeans access to Russian natural gas and then obviously supplanting that supplanting that with American natural gas. Uh, Golinkin goes on to uh, Opine. listen to that jewish listen to that Jewish news show, a smart and thoughtful look at the weekend Jewish news from the journalists at the forward now available on Apple and Spotify, even amid today's surge of anti-Semitism globally. Azov has become the Teflon neo nazis freedom fighters who can do no wrong, celebrated across America, including at prestigious institutions like Stanford. And we also have people like Lev Lincoln basically uh, diminishing uh, the role of Azov and uh, like like-minded elements in the Ukrainian government. In his Nation article a few years ago, which is spoken about in For the Record program number 1073, uh, he does, gives a much more... A uh, complete picture of the role of Nazis and fascists in Ukraine. And uh, the article goes on to talk about the beginnings of the Azov battalion. We've spoken about that uh, at length in the future, in, in past programs, I should say. I'm skipping down to Lincoln writes, In addition to an Azov veteran, the Stanford appearance featured Katarina Prokopenko, whose husband, Bennis, or B-E-M-Y-S, Denise, was the brigade's commander through the spring of 2022. Denise Pokopenko has been photographed with his platoon's informal insignia of a bearded potent cough, a type of skull and crossbones used by the SS. He was also featured on the cover of Azos' unofficial magazine, which uses the son-in-lawed neo-Nazi boon favored by white terrorists like the perfect favorite of last year's massacre in Buffalo, New York. Last week's event, the, the, the next section is called Third Reich Insignia on the elite campus. Last week's event wasn't Azov's first Stanford tour. A delegation was also welcomed there last fall. Ironically, one of Stanford's own institutes published a report chronicling Azov's white supremacy mere months before the Brigade's visit. And skipping down in the article. Calling out neo-Nazism, void where prohibited. And Lincoln writes, Our problems with Azov seems even more alarming when we consider reactions to neo-Nazism that don't involve the Brigade. In 2018, Representative Matt Gates was caught inviting a Holocaust denier to the State of the Union. Gaetz's decision to platform hate on Capitol Hill was condemned by colleagues and the ABL. But, no denun- but there had been no denunciations of numerous lawmakers who welcomed Azov fighters to Washington. This includes Representative Marcy Kaptur, capital K-A-P-T-U-R, who was photographed with an Azov veteran whose Twitter contained pictures of him wearing a shirt with 1488 neo-Nazi code and likes of a Hitler photo and death to kikes, unquote, graffiti. Indeed, Azov delegations to Washington proudly advertised their meetings on the Hill. And I would note that the ABL is among those organizations that now does not classify the Azov as Nazis. And again we look at that in for the record 1291. The San Francisco Chronicle and its SFGate Gate website featured a further discussion of that incident at Stanford. Uh, this is from SF Gate of the Chronicle of July 12th of 2023. It's by Alec Visionball, R-E-G-I-N-B-A-L author Francis Fukuyama, a Stanford fellow, backs far-right Azov group after school visit, unquote. Francis Fukuyama, a well-known author and researcher at Stanford University, said he is, quote, proud to support, unquote, the Azov Brigade, a Ukrainian military unit with long-standing far-right ties and connections to neo-Nazis. In an email to Gate, Fukuyama, who was photographed alongside representatives from the brigade at an on-campus event on June 29th, didn't back down from associating with the group, which he said is made up of, quote, heroes, unquote. Quote, I think you need to do a little more reading on Azov, he wrote. They originated among Ukrainian nationalists, but to call them neo-Nazis is to accept Russia's framing of what they represent today. By the time they defended Mariupol, they were fully integrated into the armed forces of Ukraine and our heroes of i proud to support, unquote. Fukuyama is known foremost as the author of the 1992 book, The End of History and the Last Man, unquote, in which he argued that Western liberal democracy represented the, quote, end point of mankind's ideological evolution, unquote. He's also the Olivier Mamalimi Senior Fellow at Stanford's Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies, or Spogli, S-P-O-G-L-I, which serves as a non-partisan research hub with a focus on international affairs. Just last year, that same institute published a report on what's known as the Azov Movement, unquote, the broader network of military and political organizations that were born out of what was originally a battalion. The Institute's report said that Azov, quote, mixes classic right-wing themes including anti-Semitism, ethnocentrism, homophobia, and racism with more populist economic proposals arguing for a greater role of the state in society, unquote. Skipping down. First formed as a paramilitary group in 2014, Azov quickly earned praise for its prowess on the battlefield as it fought alongside Ukrainian forces and other paramilitary groups in clashes with Russian-backed separatists. Just months after its initial formation, the unit was integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard as an official, quote, "special special purposes regiment, unquote. Since Russia's most recent invasion, the unit has received, quote, widespread praise from Western institutions and officials for its heroics on the field, namely the role it played in defending Mariupol from Russian invaders in the spring of 2022. But apart from its combat expertise, the brigade is also known for its association with neo-Nazi ideology and other far-right beliefs. Azov was formed by Andrei Bilecki, B-I-L-A-T-S-K-W-A-D, the founder of two other far-right groups in Ukraine, who in 2010 reportedly said that the country's national purpose was to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against semi led under or inferior races, unquote. Azov often uses symbols that are similar to those used by Nazi soldiers during World War II, including the Volsangl, Totenkopf, and Salmanwad. And uh, again, it says, In fact, the group's official insignia bears a striking resemblance to the Wolfsangle. According to the Anti-Defamation League, the Wolfsangle was commonly used as a divisional insignia of the Waffen-SS, the combat branch of the German military under the Nazis. And the ADL is among those organizations that has been transformed uh, via the war into something akin to the Material uh, that uh, that comprises the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory now the ABL no longer views the Azovs as Nazis, so they are basically part and parcel to the very things that they criticize. Uh, we are going to revisit briefly uh, a bit of uh history of the Azov movement, and beyond that, uh something that really indicates. Uh, the continuity between the fascism of the World War II period with Yaroslav Spetsko and Stefan Bandera and Roman Chukavich and the fascism of contemporary U- Ukraine as well. In a long series of programs, uh, we did a deep dive into a very important article from Covert Action Magazine from March 23rd of 2019. Imagine Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe. The Concept of Inframarion by Marina Laruel, L-A-R-U-E-L-L-E, and Ellen Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A. And she talks, uh, the, the authors talk about the fact that Roman who was the personal secretary in the early 1980s to Yaroslav Stetsko, the World War II head of the collaborationist, the Nazi collaborationist government of Ukraine, who endorsed the Nazi ethnic cleansing policies and implemented them in Ukraine, uh, Yaroslav Stetsko and uh, the OUNB became the dominant element in the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. Originally, the Committee of Subjugated Nations formed by Adolf Hitler in 1943, a consortium of of, uh, Central and Eastern European fascist groups, including the OUNB. And Roman Storch was uh, not only Yaroslav Stetsko's Personal secretary in the early 1980s, he also then became the justice minister, the equivalent of attorney general under uh, Viktor Yushchenko, and also in both of the Timoshenko governments in Ukraine, three times he held the position of the top legal officer in Ukraine, the equivalent of attorney general in the U.S and it was Roman foritz who was the driving force behind the formation of the Azov Battalion, and he was its official spokesman. Again, from Imagine Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, the concept of intermarium unquote, by Marlena, Laluel, L-A-R-U-E-L-L-E, and Ellen Viro, from Covert Action Magazine, from March 23rd of 2019. The co-founder of the CUN and formerly Yaroslav Stetsko's private secretary, that's a uh, reactionary party, a political party in Ukraine. The co-founder of the CUN and formerly Yaroslav Stetsko's private secretary, the U.S.-born woman Svarich, born in 1953, represents a younger generation of the Ukrainian emigrate community active during the Cold War and a direct link from the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, Two, the Azov Battalion. Zvorich participated in the activities of the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations in the 1980s. In February of 2005, after Viktor Yushchenko's election, Zvorich was appointed Minister of Justice. According to Andrei Boletsky, the first commander of the Azov Battalion, a civil paramilitary unit created in the wake of the Euromaidan. Zvorich was head of the headquarters of the Azov Central Committee in 2015 and supported the Azov Battalion with quote, volunteers unquote, and political advice through his Zvorich Foundation. So with Roman Zvorich we see a direct Element of continuity between the Ukrainian fascism of the World War II period when Yaroslav Stetsko was the head of uh, Nazi collaborationist Ukraine and the contemporary government, the post-Maidan uh, government that uh, is composed of entirely of saints, uh, to believe our media and even the so-called progressive media and even an awful lot of the so-called Jewish media. Again, the ABL, nope. No, nope. Azov are no longer Nazis. And in fact, the Azovs are a direct element of continuity between the Ukrainian fascism of the World War II period and contemporary Ukrainian fascism. And uh, it is what we're seeing now with the normalization of Nazis and... Uh, that is across the board. We are seeing the implementation of what Glenn Pinchback was talking about way back uh, when he wrote to Jim Garrison, a Nazi plot gargantuan in scope to enslave America in the name of anti-communism. Now, of course, in anti-Russian or anti-Chinese. Uh, one of the things that uh, Lev Lincoln has uh, talked about maybe it's indicative of his own uh conversion into something much more akin to the subject uh the, the substance of uh the Ukrainian Institute of national memory. He has spoken about the fact that the various fascist and Nazi parties in Ukraine have not done well at the polls. And that is very true. They have not done well. But they have been able to uh, basically occupy key positions of responsibility in the Ukrainian government. Exemplifying that was Roman Svart, who three times was justice minister in Ukraine, the equivalent of attorney general. And another person who also... Uh, is, uh, exemplary, exemplary of that very same dynamic is the aforementioned Volubovich. Once again, from Imagine Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, one more time, Imagine Geographies of Central and Eastern Europe, the concept of inframarium, unquote, by Marlene Laruel and Ellen Rivera from Covert Action Magazine from March 23rd of 2019. Quote, this rehabilitation trend accelerated after the Euro Maidan In 2015, just before the 70th anniversary of Victory Day, Volodymyr Vyotrovich, Minister of Education and longtime director of the Institute for the Study of the Liberation Movement, an organization founded to promote the heroic narrative of the OUN-UPA, called on the Parliament to vote for a set of four laws that codified the new post maidan historiography. Two of them are particularly influential in the ongoing memory war with Russia. One decrees that OUN and UPA members are to be considered, quote, fighters for Ukrainian independence in the 20th century, unquote, making public denial of this unlawful. And again, Volodymyr Vyatrovich, who was completely rewriting the history of Ukraine, making the SS out to be good guys and uh, saviors of the Jews and so forth, uh, he is the minister, he became the minister of education, just like Roman Zvorich was the justice minister, the equivalent of attorney general, and he was, uh, Zvorich that is, was justice minister three times under Yushenko and both uh, Yulia Tymoshenko governments in Ukraine. To give you an idea of what comes from having people like Volodymyr Vyotovic, again, not elected, but appointed Minister of Education in Ukraine, and that is the following. This is from Mark Sloboda's Substack blog. The Nazi Streets of Ukraine, from The Real Politic with Mark Sloboda. And this is about a uh, pro pro ounb fascist and anti-Semite named Ulas. Samchuk, S-A-M-C-H-U-K, first name capital U-L-A-S. And uh, we went into this at uh, greater length in uh, previous shows. Ulas Samchuk wrote articles lionizing his personal idol, Adolf Hitler. In Ukraine today, Ulas Samchuk is promoted by the West-backed Kiev Putsch regime as a hero and great figure of Ukrainian literature and culture, taught and required reading in schools, unquote. Won't be long before that happens here, I'm afraid, not at the rate we're going. More about the Azovs, and this really is, I guess this, this following article is kind of in the ho-hum category. From the Gray Zone of August 16th of 2023, Zelensky holds court with Ukraine's most notorious neo-Nazi by Alexander Rubinstein from the Gray Zone of August 16th of 2023. Western media has dismissed evidence of neo-Nazi influence in Ukraine by citing President Zelensky's Jewish heritage. But new footage published by Zelensky shows the leader openly collaborating with a fascist ideologue who once pledged to, quote, lead the white races of the world in a final crusade against Semite-led intervention, unquote. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has uploaded a video to his Telegram channel showing him holding court with one of the most notorious neo-Nazis in modern Ukrainian history, Azov Battalion founder Andrei Boletsky. On August 14th, just Hour, over an hour after Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced another $200 million in military aid to Kiev, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky published a video depicting what he called an open conversation, unquote, with Ukraine's third separate assault brigade. Quote, I am grateful to everyone who defends our country and people who brings our victory closer, unquote, Zelensky wrote, following his encounter with the unit on the outskirts of Bakhmut. While casual Western observers might not have realized it, the brigade Zelensky was addressing is actually the newest integration of Ukraine's neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. And I would note, um, Zelensky, uh, he became president after having been promoted in uh, a television program uh, on, that was uh, on a channel that was controlled by Ihor uh the Ukrainian oligarch who also was one of the prim- pr- prime financiers of both the Azov and Adar battalions. He also owned a controlling interest in Burisma, where Hunter Biden became a director and uh, was supplanted as a director of uh, Burisma by none other than Kopra Black, who was in charge of anti-terrorist operations for CIA under George W. Bush. And, uh, if that seems far-fetched, uh, can you imagine having a, uh, someone who gained public prominence by being on television going on to be, to become president of the country? Can you imagine something like that happening in America? Oh, wait. I mean, obviously I'm being facetious. Uh, Donald Trump made his, uh, bones, so to speak, as a public figure. Well, he, he, he was, uh, a fairly flamboyant business creature, but basically it was on The Apprentice, a, real, a quote, reality TV show, unquote, that he basically got into the public eye, and he used that as a vehicle for ascending to the presidency in a manner, in my opinion, not unlike the way Zelensky did in Ukraine. We're going to uh, take a look next at an article from Covert Action Magazine of July 17th of 2023 by Evan Rife, capital R-E-I-F, Lord of the Underworld. Meet the paratrooper from North Carolina who helped orchestrate the war in Ukraine. This is about a uh, soldier named Brian Boyinger, B-O-Y-E-N-G-E-R. I'm not sure if I'm mispronouncing the gentleman's name. But he has worked as uh, a sniper and mercenary in Ukraine. And he was apparently involved with the formation of the Georgian Legion. And he may also have been involved with the Georgian Legion and the sniper activities in the Maidan coup. There has been substantive information that the killings of demonstrators at the Maidan coup and also of uh, some of the uh, policemen the Ukrainian government policemen, were deliberate provocations that were uh, perpetrated by elements associated with Svoboda, one of the fascist organizations that came to power through the Maidan coup and also through the Georgian Legion. We've spoken about that in numerous programs in the past. The Georgian Legion is headed up by a guy named Mamalashvili and uh, Brian Bullinger was apparently involved with the Georgian Legion. Mamalashvili had worked with Ukrainian nationalists before. During the 1992 Abkhaz War, he fought as a child soldier along the neo-Nazi Argo Battalion, the armed wing of the UNA-UNSO. Argo worked as mercenaries during the early 1990s and carried up an unsuccessful operation to rescue Mamalashvili and his father from encirclement in Abkhazia. Mama Rashvili did not forget their efforts and wasted little time repaying them during the Maidan. UNA-UMSO will be co-found the infamous fascist militia right sector alongside a coalition of other right-wing groups. In early 2014, the ongoing Maidan coup reached a stalemate. Time and bitter cold had driven many of the protesters on both sides back to their homes, and the revolution was facing the very real danger of simply fizzling out. To prevent this, Mamorashvili needed a spark of violence to light the fire of revolution. He hatched an audacious plan to fire the crowds at the, Excuse me one more time. To prevent this, Mamorashvili needed a spark of violence to light the fire of revolution. He hatched an audacious plan to fire on the crowds and blamed the attacks on the Yanukovych government. His point man for the plan was the U.S. Army-trained sniper, Brian Boyinger. On February 20th of 2014, snipers, allegedly under the direct command of Boyinger, opened fire on the crowds from the Maybaum-occupied Kiev Philharmonic Building, killing dozens of both police and protesters. The plan worked, and the sniper attacks were the pivotal moment that gave the Maidan the momentum to friendly depose the democratically elected Yanukovych government. While the Maidan forces quickly blamed the government for the attacks, NATO officials suspected a provocation from the beginning. The attacks remain officially unsolved, and as the Ukrainian government destroyed all evidence, it is unlikely that those responsible will ever be brought to justice. By the way, Professor Ivan Kachanovsky, uh, I believe he's from the University of Ottawa in Canada, he is Ukrainian-born, he has done a masterful job of parsing the uh, videos and testimony from the inquiries, now very, very much attenuated, into the Maidan sniper shootings. And again, has, has developed a very compelling body of evidence that in fact the sniper fire that... Uh, that uh, led to the Maidan coup, came from the uh, buildings occupied by the Slobova organization. And U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Pyatt was in uh, very close contact with Ole Tianabuk of Slobova, and then-Vice President uh, Joe Biden was in very close contact with him as well. Continuing with Evan Rice's article, According to this, Mamalashvili's Georgia region According to this, Mamorashvili's Georgian Legion is rife with neo-Nazis and other fascists from around the world. The organization even uses Paul Gray, an infamous neo-Nazi terrorist who was one of the organizers of the deadly Charlottesville Unite the Right rally as its English-speaking spokesman. Gray has made dozens of appearances on Fox News, proudly extolling the virtues and combat prowess of the Georgian Legion while begging for more weapons. While Mamala Feely insists that all legion recruits are vetted and neo-Nazis or fascists are rejected, Gray's membership proves the legion's, quote, vetting, unquote, is little more than PR to assuage the consciences of guilty liberals. Even a cursory Google search would reveal that Gray has been a member of multiple neo-Nazi terrorist groups, such as the traditionalist Workers' Party and Abbenwaffen, who are infamous for calling in bomb threats against historically black colleges and universities. And skipping down. Regardless of when he arrived in Ukraine, Brian Boyd's hands are not clean. He was instrumental in the training and formation of the various far-right units, including Azov, White Sector, the Georgian Legion, and many others. These units are all credibly accused of countless war crimes, and many of them have even been convicted in Ukrainian courts of crimes as vile as raping children. In 2015, Boinger broke his usually immaculate OPSEC to chat with Swedish neo-Nazi and first-generation Azov member Michael Skilt, who once, descri- once described by the BBC as, quote, a white power warrior, unquote, for advice on smuggling anti-material weapons into Ukraine the conversation is clear proof that Bollinger was acting with the knowledge and in the interests of the U.S. government. Bollinger openly discussed smuggling otherwise highly illegal weapons to known terrorists on the public forum with what he says is State Department approval. Even aside from the obvious implication of the State Department arming Nazi terrorists, it seems very unlikely that the former low-ranking enlisted Army soldier would be getting this sort of approval from the government. Unless, of course, Brian Boyinger is something more than that. And he, by the way, was one of the driving forces behind something called Task Force Pluto, skipping down. What they're saying is, quote, here's a group in Ukraine that's going beyond ideology. They're a militia group that's actively recruiting for the cause. That's appealing to people who want to promote white nationalism or preserve European American culture. The fact that they're fighting is in and of itself important. This is Marilyn Mayo, ABL terrorism researcher. Uh, the ABL is among the organizations that suddenly, wow, as off Nazis? Uh-uh. Don't know nothing about that. Then goes, uh, the article goes into the, the subject of Craig Lang, who is uh, an American Nazi and fascist, along with his uh, associate, uh, Mr. uh has been... Uh, Convicted of numerous crimes including, uh, basically been, been indicted for numerous crimes including murder in the US. The FBI put out an extradition request. However, uh, Wang is uh, alive and well and free in Ukraine fighting for Task Force Pluto as is, uh, as have many other, uh, Nazis and fascists. Uh, I think due to the Limitations of time. We're going to skip the rest of this article. Again, the, the important point is that Brian Boyinger himself, an American uh, soldier, uh, appears to have been involved in the organization and the combat activities of various Nazi and fascist formations in Ukraine, including Task Force Pluto, uh, something of a subgrouping for uh outright Nazis and fascists, many of them with criminal backgrounds in Ukraine. We've spoken about Craig Lang in numerous programs in the past, including for the record program 1097. And we're going to conclude with the, with the following article. This is from the Libertarian Institute uh, publication, American Neo-Nazi claiming forces in Maine to fight in Ukraine. This by Kyle Anzalone, or Anzalone, A-N-Z-A-L-O-N-E, from August 10th of 2023. Christopher Polhouse, a former Marine and prominent neo Nazi, has purchased land in Maine to train soldiers to fight for Ukraine. He sees the war against Russia as a unique chance to fight alongside the Azov Battalion and defend a merely quote all white nation, unquote. Last year, Polhouse bought at least ten acres of land in Springfield Maine, although he claims he owns over a hundred acres. Pohas has discussed his ambitious plans for his main training grounds on social media. In a Telegram channel, he posted, quote, There will likely not be another chance in my lifetime to fight alongside other National Socialist men against a multi-ethnic invading empire to defend an almost all-white nation. And uh, he discusses uh, going to fight with the assault battalion and with party sector. And uh, his organization is called Blood Bloodtrod. And uh, I would note the following, skipping down in the article. Since the Civil War broke out in Ukraine after a coup in 2014, neo-Nazis have flocked to the country to fight for Kiev. Ukrainian neo-Nazis have held important positions in government and national socialist militias have been a crucial part of Kiev's war machine. And this libertarian publication is basically one of the very few uh, publications that will acknowledge that in fact, Nazis have occupied very important positions in the u- various Ukrainian governments, again exemplified by Roman Sforich, Minister of Justice, the equivalent of Attorney General under Yushchenko, Viktor Yushchenko, and both Yulia Tymoshenko governments. And uh, the, the article goes on to discard the various Nazis and fascists fighting for Ukraine. And... Uh, Mr. Polhouse, to his credit, in my opinion, is not at all oblique about uh, uh, his beliefs. Uh, the article casts aspersions on whether uh, Polhouse's training program has really advanced as far as uh, claimed. Uh, it remains to be seen. I suspect, ultimately, that Polhouse and uh, other uh, American nazis and fascists and white supremacists uh, will be used as enforcers here in the U.S., and I think they will be folded very seamlessly into well, what I believe is an American gladio or stay behind operation. The, uh, when one takes a look at the investigation into the assassinations of John Kennedy and others, uh, one invariably sees Nazis and fascists working alongside U.S. intelligence operatives in those operations, and I believe they are part and parcel to Add to uh, an American stay-behind operation. Don't forget the newest flash drive is now available with all of the information on COVID and the war in Ukraine. This concludes for the record program number 1311, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, part 26. This is being recorded on September 8th of the year 2023. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.